Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17, continuing this morning with this hard knocks uh, series or journey that we are on, hard knocks journey that we are on. 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to read, I'm going to read verse 54 first, and then I'm going to back it all the way up and then read verse 5 of this chapter, okay? And, and this morning, and the way that the way that these have been going is kind of like this, that we have a little practical, you know, stuff that's brought in, spiritual, biblical stuff that's brought in, and uh, sometimes a little scientific, you know, edge to it all. And so today will just be uh, the same as well. Amen. First Samuel 17 and verse number 54. And this is this is the famed story of David and Goliath. Bible says. After all the battle has taken place, and David took the head of the Philistine. Isn't that nice? If you really think about that, that's a little gruesome. But David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor, not David's armor, but this Philistine, Goliath, his armor in his tent. And remember, David by and large is somewhat of a young man, you know, rudy face, you know, you hear Bishop all time, you know, barely have any whiskers on his face. It's just soft hair. You almost comb. The Bible says in verse 5, giving us a little indication concerning Goliath's armor. The Bible says, this is speaking of Goliath, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head. Now, this is a big guy. Remember, we're not talking about a common man's armor. He has a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. All right, we're not talking about, we're not talking about letters, okay. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That equates to about 125 pounds. Remember, David's a young man. So this morning we're going to continue with this hard knocks, amen, study. Ask the Lord to help us open our hearts and mind and perhaps just grant healing to some of us that need it. Amen today. Father, I come to you. God, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for being here this morning. God, for these people that have once again faithfully gathered themselves to the house of God and to, Lord, lend an ear to the word of the Lord. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, you're able to, Lord, help them, help us all, Lord Jesus, in our lives. God, that we can grow and become better, Lord, through your word. God, even maybe some practical things, Lord, that can be shared, that can be of, of benefit, God, to us today. God will not fail to thank you for it the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have Rex and, and Vicky with us today. So glad to have them. See them in the house of the Lord. Good to have Michael Hurst with us this morning. Back in the house of God this morning as well. Amen. The different ones that I see. So grateful that you are here. Some people have a tendency of this more than others. Um, as, I, as I grew up, and my mom is probably, she's got a PhD in it. But uh, and I can pick on her because she's not here. But uh, it, it are what we call knickknacks. 
Do you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about knickknacks, uh, collectibles? Uh, I, you look up the word one dictionary, you look up, it defines knickknacks as Brit of Brack, a bit of brick of brat. I guess that's some type of British term. But uh, it, 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 it actually means a nonsensical phrase meaning at random, any old way. So it's come to mean just miscellaneous small objects that have been kept because either they're an antique, uh, they're ornamental, they're rare, or simply because they have some type of sentimental value to the one who has them. And so uh, my mother over the years uh, has a few knickknacks or, or brick-brack. She has collected them, and probably she, she all, all range to her. Some of them are probably there because they are antique. Some of them are there because they are just ornamental. or rare. I mean, she's like got this definition in a bag for her. Some of those things are there because they're ornamental or rare. Some of them, I'd probably say a large majority of them, all right, a large majority of them are there because they hold sentimental value to her. Now, you got under, now sentimental value for one person is different than what sentimental value is for another person. Okay? I want you to understand, you know, a stranger could walk up and give my mom something, and she's just going to hold on to that thing because this person she didn't even know gave that to her, and that just demarks that particular day whenever all that occurred and happened. Over the years, I remember, any of those, you ladies familiar with curio cabinets? Yeah. Well, I remember when mom just had one. And uh, over the years, it's grown, I think, to four or five now. Is it four? It's four. Because I remember she said whenever she got that one, now, now if I ever pass away, each of my girls can have one. <laughs> That's exactly right. There's four. I told her, don't worry about me, Mom. Okay, don't, don't worry about me. I'm not in. As a matter of fact, if you had to go to the trailer today, she has one that sits actually in the hallway of the trailer. Now, you know it's getting bad when you got to put a curio cabinet in an already small area, such as a hallway. And so they have these knickknacks because some things, and we all have them, maybe not to the same degree. There's a very fine line of collecting and then hoarding. Okay, and we're not going to start trying to give any therapy for anybody that's in the opposite direction this morning. But, but we all have things in our life that, that gives some type of indication, perhaps of a memory or hold sentimental value. I just brought a couple of, uh, of things. I brought one, something out of my office this morning that uh, just is a, is a reminder for me or brings a memory back to me. And it's my little, and this is small really, but it, it has the, uh, the White House on here, the Capitol, the Capitol building. Uh, it has Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument, uh, and the Veterans Memorial uh, on there of Washington, D.C., and that's just meaningful to me. And it has, for one, man, that's, you know, Washington, D.C., that, you know, the very crux from which everything flows, so it seems. But in our travels one time, we were preaching in North Carolina, and we're headed to Pennsylvania. And in, back then, you looked at a map. You didn't have GPS. And so whenever we did that, we seen how close we were going to be in that travel to Washington, D.C. And so my wife and I got this idea why don't we stop for a few hours in Washington, D.C.? And so that's what we did. We drove in there to, to Washington, D.C., and, and we wanted to go see some of these things. So we were just following signs, you know, to get there. And we may have ended up totality. This is the truth. We may have totality maybe. Was it that long? I thought it was longer than that. But anyway, my wife's holding up maybe three hours. Three hours is what we spent in Washington, D.C. 
And I remember parking the car and getting out on the sidewalk, and I'm saying, I wonder where everything's at. You know, we followed the signs down here and went to the corner of the road, and uh, I don't remember what the one road was, but the other one said Pennsylvania Avenue. I said, that's Pennsylvania Avenue. I said, the White House is on Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm like a kid, you know, in a candy store. The White House is on Pennsylvania. And within those three hours, now, that looks like stuff's real close. It's not that close in, in reality. All right, folks, they are a few, 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 few blocks at distance from each other. But me and my wife, here we are. You're not going to drive a vehicle down there, okay? We are hoofing it. Man, we go to the White House. We're standing in front of the Iron Gate. We're getting pictures. We walk to the Capitol building, and we're walking by the reflective waters. We go to the Washington Monument, all of this. So we went to all of that we could go to in three hours of time. And so there was a little vendor there uh, on the sidewalk, and so I got that. And so that's forever going to remind me, look of just a three-hour period of my life. We have pictures to go along with, too. If you'd like to see them, we'll get together sometime. No. But just a three-hour period of my life. Just, just that can call all of that back to memory, just like that. And, and what fun it was. And, we, and listen, you're looking at a person. Whenever I start a trip, my objective is not stopping every juncture along the way. My objective is to get there. And I don't like to stop. But Paul McGee. Took three hours out of a trip to stop. And so, see, there's a lot of meaning to this right here for my wife as well. You know, so there's a lot of meaning. So that, that, that holds some meaning to me. And then one other time we were, and this is really uh, this, and, and my wife and I had this, uh, you know, we had a travel trailer. You can't fit four curios in it. Well, you probably could, but in a travel trailer. So all the time what we did, and these are just a few, we got magnets, you know, places that we went. Some people collect spoons. We got magnets. We could go back through them, different states we had been in, different uh, places, museums, you know, harbors of, in Maryland that we went to and seen the ships that we were, you know, and all these different things. We could collect those. But one place that we went in, in Pennsylvania uh, while we were preaching one time was Falling Water. You all, many know my my, my, my heart for falling water that was in Mill Run, Pennsylvania. And so whenever we, we actually went and toured this, this building, which is just very elaborate, and I, I, one thing, I just wanted one thing to remember by, and it was this book. And this book stays in my office. And I'm telling you, whenever I, whenever I peer at that or just cast my eye at that or even the, the bigger print that the church got me however many years ago now, whenever I look at that, man, I can almost remember walking Back into, it's a very wooded area. Welcome back into that wooded area before you ever get there. You can hear the waterfall that falls from underneath that home. And I can, I can, the whole ambience of that scenario comes back to me in my office. And I feel the breeze and I remember it was kind of a damp day and all those things just because of this little memento uh, right there. And so what it comes down to, we are, in a certain sense, we're, we're collectors. We are. To a certain sense, we are collectors. Now, what I collect may not be what you collect, or what's meaningful to me may not be what is meaningful to you, but we are all collectors, amen, of, of little mementos. And those little mementos, they contain, they contain memories. And those memories, of course, are made up of minutes, but most importantly, they're made up of moments. They're made up of moments. Those points of time that seem to have influence upon your life or enough influence you wanted to memorialize the moment in your life and so really some of the most significant periods of our life are what we would would, would consider to be just high watermark bitch mark moments in our life things that stood out to us that was larger than life you know 
Um, I'm not going. I'm not going to go to uh, uh, let's say Bilo or IGA today and get a piece of fried chicken and put it in a sealed container and just let it set on a nightstand somewhere because I had fried chicken at IGA. Now you might have that, and that's fine if that's your drive. But I'm, you know, it's things that are just larger to life to you as an individual. And the thing is, some of them are very predictable. For instance, your wedding day, right? Some of you might have held on to that top piece of your cake for a year and then ate it a year later. No, that's all right. But you have probably something from that wedding day that even besides pictures that kind of demark, you know, that that day. Some people save their flowers if they're artificial and able to save them. Or some, some ladies have their dresses, you know, sealed away in a box somewhere, you know, in a controlled environment, you know, that demark that day. And some of those are predictable. Or your, the birth of your child. Maybe some of you are trying to forget the birth of your child. I don't know. But nevertheless, you know, there are certain predictable things that are, that, are, that are just meaningful to you. And you have certain things that remind you of that. But then there's other things that are unpredictable. You know, perhaps some accident or the death of a loved one or such. I know I, I didn't go in my, my shed today. But in my shed, this is whenever I was just a young man. Grandpa McGee died whenever I was young, you know. Uh, it came right now off the top of my head. I didn't even remember how old I was. But uh, I was beyond eight years old, I know. It was in 86. So I was born in 78. So I guess I was around. Well, I guess I was. But I'd already received the Holy Ghost and everything because I remember it very. But I remember at his funeral, uh, because he had been in the military, they had a, a gun salute from that. And as a kid, I, they gave me one of the empty shells. And maybe some of those. And, and me being a little boy, I got out popsicle sticks. And I glued them together and made a box. I still have that still yet to this day for that, that gun shell. And so that's something I, I just, it ties me back to the loss of my loved ones. So we all have, have all these things. But here's the thing. You just never know when a, a minute in your life might become a defining moment for your life. And identifying those moments, those things that become defining moments in your life, help also to identify who you really, who you really are or what's made you as you are. Psychological research this morning suggests that one self-concept is defined by very small number of experiences. Listen to this. 99% of life's experiences vanish like vapor into the subconscious abyss. Only 1% make it into our conscious memories. And less than 1% of that 1% are not just memorable, but absolutely unforgettable. Those are the moments that defined us so that the key to fulfilling your God-given destiny, folks, is hidden in those past moments. That's less than 1% of the 1% of those memories that you carry on in your life. That brings me today then to our scripture reading of David. David here... He, he takes Goliath down, and, uh, and that's a pretty high watermark for his life when all the rest of Israel's army are with shaking knees, hiding, if you will, every time this giant comes out to defy. For David, being the age he was, going out, taking down this giant, he takes off his head. He takes the head to Jerusalem, but note, the Bible says he took the armor of the giant and put it in his tent. David was saving a memorial or a memento of that particular time in his life. 
And you got to, so he's a little bit of a knickknack collector here. We got David in the Old Testament, a little bit of a knickknack collector, except his knickknack weighed 125 pounds. Just the coat of mail itself was 125 pounds. As a matter of fact, I mean, if you think about David being a young man, it, there's a possibility that the coat of mail may have even weighed more than what David did at that period of time. And, 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 and to a certain degree, just removing it might have been more of a struggle than slinging the stone through the air. And taken down the giant. But David, and he's in a tent. This is not like he has a permanent residence. This is a tent. So every time he moved and went to another location, guess what? He's hauling around a 125-pound knickknack. I guarantee you my mother would not have four curios if she was moving every week. <laughs> but a 125-pound knickknack he's carrying around all the time because it was a defining moment in his life. It was a daily reminder of a defining moment in his life whenever he learned that his God was bigger than any giant or foreseeable obstacle that was greater than him and greater than other people in his life. That was always a reminder that he could do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth him. The thing is, in Scripture, it doesn't always call them memorials, doesn't call them mementos. Sometimes they are called altars. Many times whenever God did something spectacular or there was a defining moment in someone in Scripture, the Lord asked them or even by just being compelled in themselves, they would build an altar. They would take stones and put stones together and pile them up, build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord because God had done something just so stupendous right there. It was a defining moment in their life. And they wanted to know if they ever passed by their way for that to remind them what God had done. Uh, whenever the children of Israel passed over uh, the Jordan, uh, whenever they had done that, the Bible says whenever with Joshua, he had those men to get those stones out of the middle of the Jordan where it was presently dry because God had dried it up and take those stones and set them on the opposite bank and make a pillar to be a reminder for the children of Israel. You, you come by here again, you're going to remember there was a point in time when the priests, their, their, their feet got into this Jordan and waters went back to the left and the right and there was dry ground in so much you was able to get smooth stones out of the middle of the river. That was a defining moment for them, not just for them, but for their children. If your children ever pass by and ask, what's that? Right? You have that today. I've done it to my parents. There's something there and it looks like it's about half broken, you know. <laughs> They've been put together with super glue five times. And What is that? Well, there's meaning to it. Because there's a defining moment for them in their life. And so if you ever think about it, David was just doing that with the armor. I mean, if I was David, I'd pluck that stone out of the giant's head. You know? With some blood of the giant on there, put that in my tin as well. You know, because just reminding me, if I was, if I was Abraham or if I was Jacob or Isaac, rather, I might take annual vacation to the top of Mount Moriah. Where Abraham was supposed to slay his son, but God provided a ram instead. I just might want to, you know, go up there and just revisit and remember what God had done. Or if I was Peter, I'd want to get in a boat and row out to the exact spot where I got out of the boat and started to walk on the water toward the Lord. I'd want that be a memorial, you know, for me. Or, or if I was Daniel, every once in a while I might walk by the lion's dig with a, den with a little smug smile on my face thinking, yeah, you all thought you had me. But God delivered me, and so on and so forth. You know, Zacchaeus might have his grandchildren climbing up the sycamore tree from where he first saw the Lord. Sure. You understand what I'm talking about? If I was Lazarus, I'd go back to the grave every year and put flowers at the tomb where I was for four days. Uh -huh. Huh? 
Because those are defining moments in the life of them all. It's not just that they're sentimental, but they can almost even in Scripture become spiritual objects. There, there are things that I have that are also spiritual objects. Sister McGee, you put up that one, you know, pictures for us sometimes serve as those memorials. Put up that one picture. It is dark in it. No, not that one. The one of the first camp, if you will. Amen. I don't know him personally. Yeah. Pastor McGee Jr. Wow. Did you put that on there? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't remember that one, you know. So when I look at this picture. This is a memorial for me, spiritual memorial. Because this was, this is, was, was in Elizabethtown, West Virginia. First camp meeting my wife and I ever preached in, in our lives and ministry back in the year of 1999. I was 21 years old. 21 years old. I was working a job at that time in Evansville. I just, just got a job actually in Evansville. I took a leave of absence to go preach this camp meeting. Uh, and, and I remember it so well, and it was the first camp, and I was just a young man, and uh, the spiritual connotation is that in that week, and of course this is God, but just in that week, we had 10, 10 of those, there was more kids than just that, but 10 of them received the Holy Ghost, and we bapt 21 of them in a river. And so that's a spiritual defining moment and memorial for me. As I go forward, even now as a pastor, I look back upon that, and I think of the day that God, because Sister McGee and I, and we preached that camp three years in a row. And the first year, uh, it was, I didn't know, we, you know, sometimes we get off here, people call this the McGee Church. You could have called that the McGee Camp, although it was just me and her there. We taught the kids during the day. I preached to them at night. She led them in a choir. And so we were like, we were busy uh, that week. But God, just through the use of vessels to see what occurred and what happened, ultimately is God, but just to be a part of that. And so I take that fast forward even still yet today that God has the ability of using vessels, amen, by his ultimate hand to accomplish other things, you know, as well. And so there, it's kind of like the altar building in our lives, the altar building, because if you never memorialize those defining moments, listen, we're, we're just human beings. We have a tendency to forget. If only 1% really goes into our, our, our subconscious, we have the ability to forget. And so it's important that you build those memorials for that reason so that you do not forget. Number one, you don't forget the faithfulness of your God. You don't forget the faithfulness of your God. Amen. And so several times throughout Scripture, even the Lord is constantly telling his people, you know what a constant word he tells them? He says, remember. And then you turn a few more pages and God's saying, remember. Almost 250 times in the Bible, he's telling them to remember because we as humans have a tendency to forget. Amen. And a lot of times it's forgetting a lot of times the good because we have a tendency to remember the bad. More so. But remembering the good. And so God's telling his people, build altars. I want you to build an altar there because I want you to remember my faithfulness. I want to you to remember how successful you were through me by the power of God. And so we have all these physical reminders that come into our life that help, that help teach us all these different lessons. Uh, some of these men here this morning have some of these. We receive these towels at, right, men's conference, right? There's one. Look, there's one. That's a different one. Uh, there's one. There's another one. Uh, this was something that was local. There's one. No, I ain't going to get another one. But just those are spiritual reminders about what God did. For me, I got T-shirts. Some of these I don't even wear anymore. But there's a church camp. There's a camp preached in Georgia. There's one I preached in Tennessee in the same year. There's one I preached in Indiana. 
there's one down there. Went back to Texas, preached another one. Here's one that I did a youth week up in Anderson, and it was just my wife and I being able to pour in the lives of those uh, teenagers up there. Those are spiritual reminders for me. Amen. What God had done, what God can do. It's not just what he had, but what he can do. They are reminders of the past that give, give meaning to our present. And not just that, but have the ability to give us confidence. Amen. Confidence for our future. And so, you know, this morning I'm asking, trying you to just kind of probe your mind. You know, what are some of those altars in your life? What are, what are some of those things that have been pivotal for you? Perhaps it's been a particular church service. Or perhaps it was when you was in a hospital and something occurred or happened. Maybe it was a conversation with a friend or a challenging sermon that you heard one time that brought you or, or, or a loved one that was on deathbed that overcome it. Just some divine, defining moment that you will never, never forget. Alex Haley, you can put that gentleman back up. Alex Haley, he was the author of a book called Roots, had a picture in his office. You've heard this referred to several times, showing a turtle sitting on top of a fence. You put my turtle there. The picture was there to remind him of a lesson he learned long ago, and this is what Haley said. He said, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. Isn't that awesome seeing that turtle? <laughs> you know he had help some help and so every time that we do something and we would even begin to feel proud of ourselves, he said he said I would look to that turtle on that fence post and remember that I didn't get there on my own that I had to have some help now think of David hauling around 125 probably a struggle for the lad 125 pound uh, armor around dragging it he knew in the moment that he's dragging that the man that wore this I didn't do that by myself I didn't do that alone. I had to have some help from the Lord in order for that to happen because the sheer size of it indicates I would have not been able to do that on my own. With that being said, if you'll just allow me, and I know that this morning this is maybe just some information, but I'm trying to probe our minds here for a moment. There was a neurosurgeon. His name was Dr. Wilder Penfield. He had explored the brains of 1,132 living patients. All right. He didn't explore the brains of dead people, but living people. Many of them suffered from epileptic seizures, and Dr. Penfield wanted to know why. And so he would, he would, he would make a hole in their skull with some local anesthetic. And after he did that, he would wake them back up to be awake while they have this hole in their skull. And he would begin to communicate with them during this, this practice in this surgery. And it was during some of these operations that Mr. Penfield... He, he had a fascinating discovery that when he used mild electrical currents to stimulate different parts of the brain, Dr. Penfield found that his patients experienced flashbacks, vivid memories from the past that replayed in their mind's eye. He said one patient that he did this to could recall every note from a symphony she had heard at a concert years before. That another individual, when the same spot was stimulated 30 times, the same person, rather, when it was stimulated 30 times, every time she could still recall every single note that was done at that sympathy, symphony. Another person recalled sitting at a train station as a child and could describe each train car that passed by in her mind's eye just as it was whenever she was a child sitting there in real. They could, another child could visualize the comb that their mother always used on their hair and could actually count and tell how many teeth was on the comb. Now, that's outrageous, isn't it? Just seemingly outrageous. And so we had all these flashbacks with very much so details. Amen. And so what he concluded is this. 
is that every sight, every sound, every smell, every conscious thought, every subconscious dream is recorded on our hard drive that we have called our brain. All right? Right there on our brain, a certain region of the brain called the cerebral cortex. And here's how it works. When you hear a song or you see a picture or read a verse, a line is traced on the surface of your cerebral cortex called a memory trace or an engram. And the brain kind of works like an etch sketch. It's always tracing these things on that part of the brain. But when you hear the same song, it will trace along that same exact path and line. When you see the same picture, it will trace, retrace along that same path or line. And with each repetition, each time it does that, it's making that trace mark deeper and deeper, almost like a person that takes a path out in the woods on a four-wheeler and there's green grass there to begin with and over the grass gets bared down and then there's no grass and then there's dirt and then there's ruts in the dirt because you're going over the same path over and over again. Same thing takes place up here. When you bring a certain memory or hear a same song, bring it back to, it's making a rut in the path of your brain over and over and over again in that area of your brain in so much that once it's there so long, it's going to be indelibly a part of you and you're going to remember that and so what that means is this if we take negativity negative situations of our past or present and we're always mulling over in our mind that or fascinating our minds on that we're going to cause that so rutted in our minds that that's where our that's going to always be our go-to place because, you know, a person that wants to go on that four-wheel path in the woods and he's to, and you've done it on, I've done it on highways. Truckers have been on there so long that they cause these little, you know, ruts almost on the highway. And I try to stay up on the other part, but you know what? I just veer because it's there. It just kind of almost pulls you back into there. And you can do the same thing then with your mind. If, if there's a sense of negativity that you're just around, you always pull back to that area because that's, that's what we've memorialized. Or that's what we've built up memorials unto. But here's what the scripture says in Philippians 4 and 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good, of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. One man said this, what you think is what you become. Not all memories are created equal. There's, there's about three different memories. A sensory memory, just a fleeting thought. Someone gives you their phone number, and as soon as they give it, it's forgotten, or you wouldn't have to ask for it three or four more times, right? If it didn't make it to your cell phone, it's good as gone. And then their short-term memory has a little longer shelf life. Uh, you can recall maybe what you wore or ate. Some of us even have problems doing that. Uh, what you read yesterday, maybe. Uh, but then there's long-term memory. And there's only a few of your experiences that really make it to long-term memory. But it's those memories that shape who you are or shape what you're going to become. Amen. It's the length of the memory. It's, how, it's not how long the memory is, but it's how deep it's been etched upon your brain. And here's the thing. Interesting. The stronger the emotion, the longer and the stronger the memory. If you have deep emotion attached to the memory, you're probably going to remember it more. And that's probably why people have a tendency to bend toward negativity because they had a, they had a memory that, that brought anger or hurt or pain 
And so, therefore, it's etched very hard within their minds. But also, on the flip side of that, I think about the, 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 the good side of this. I think about how people can't forget their experience with God if they even ever leave God. Because the moment they were baptized, the feeling and the emotion that accompanied that. Or whenever they began to speak in a language that they were never taught and they never learned the emotion and just not that, and, 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 that and, and I agree today that we're not, it's not all about emotion, and that's true, it's about what we know. But the emotion doesn't hurt to drive it into our hearts and in our minds as well. Amen. I, I know people today, they will never refute what God had did for them. Amen. Because that has been deep into their brains and their minds, their long-term memory. They have all these emotions of the positive and the negative. And that's just the way that God has wired us, just the way that God has wired us. Someone say Amen. But what it comes down to is being proper managers, proper managers of our memories. Because some need to be consciously deleted if possible. And others need to be consciously saved. Some need to be mulled over and some need to be try, as I say this, try to be forgotten. See, David could have carried a lot. We, we spoke a few weeks ago, you know, his own brothers kind of looked down their nose at their brother David. You know, whenever he shows up to the battle, Eliab saying, I know the naughtiness of your heart. You know, saying that you're here with impure motives. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love that the moment you walk through the church doors, we're just sitting back here. Yeah, we know you're just here because this is a show, social thing for you. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the, 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 just, just this negativity. Uh, his own dad, again, wasn't the one that, that, that even thought of his own son to come to be anointed by Samuel. So he has all these things. And if he wanted to, when it came the day, even from what he had from his dad and all these, if it came the day to do great things in the kingdom or great things for God, he could have said, I can't because, well, my brothers didn't think much of me. And I can't because my dad didn't think much of me. But the fact of the matter was David learned how to manage his memories. He learned how to manage his memories. And so whenever we do this, when we look at our memories, and I'm not trying to be overly scientific today, but when we look at our memories, there, there's two types that we can imagine our memories. You can pre-imagine them, and that's where we get, we have expectations about what's going to take place. And that expectation can be positive, think going to win the world, or that expectation can be negative, and you get anxious and worry about something that's not even occurred yet, but it's already occurred in your mind. And then you can post-imagine post some things. Kind of like whenever men go on a fishing trip, and the fish that was really that big, they say, I tell you what, and it was... <laughs> Never done that, have you, Bob? You know, got that minnow, and it was really, you know... You know, kind of post-imagining how reality really was. Post-imagining how reality really was. And so some look at the future and imagine how it's going to be, and others look at what has happened and try to imagine how it was. And you can, you can romanticize that, making it better than what it was, or you may catastrophize that, make it worse than what it was, just about how you reimagine those things. And so when we look at that, I believe David was looking back over different moments in his life, and by managing them, he was looking back over things that have happened, and maybe he was reimagining to a point that, you know what, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was bad. Because I believe that's what Joseph did in his life. When he looked back and he spoke to his brothers after the pit and the prison and, 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 and everything that he had went through, he, 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 he kind of post-imagined everything. Going through it, it may have been horrific, but when he looked back, he said, you know what, the devil meant this for my bad. He said, but God meant it for my good. He says, I'm going to manage 
some memories that could absolutely be negative in my life and say, you know what? Whenever I was in the pit and when I was in prison and when I was sold in slavery, you know what? I'm going to choose to look at that. And no doubt this was the hand of God, but I'm going to choose to consider that God was sending me ahead of time so that whenever you all were in a famine and needed some help, I would be right where I needed to be. And it goes back to our Romans 8.28 that tells us that all things, we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. And the only way that we can properly manage some of these things is some of us have some bad memories in the past. Horrific memories in the past. Memories we would not even share or voice with some of the closest people in our life that we just, we struggle with them and we wrestle with them in our own, our own lives. But what Christ wants us to do is give us, give us the power to see our past, not through our eyes, but through his eyes. Through his eyes. To, to post-imagine how, you know, in spite of how horrific it was, God, even in that moment when I didn't claim him, didn't know him, didn't acknowledge him, I realized he was being faithful to me. Whenever I wasn't even in a place or a position to acknowledge or be faithful to him. Someone say amen. Someone say I can't change the past. You can't. You can't change the past. But we can learn from the past. And how we learn from the past and apply the past can help us for a different future. Amen? For a different future. The Bible says, look at Jesus for consideration. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at this verse. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now consider, he says he, he came down. He didn't take no reputation upon him. Took the form of a servant, likeness of men, fashion of man, humbled, obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. All that, man, it's just like condescend, condescend, down, down, down. But it says, wherefore God, who also hath highly exalted him. It's almost like after all of this, after all of this, now comes the exaltation. And so you look back over your life and you see all the calamity and you see the woe and you see things that you're not very proud of, so on and so forth. But God has the ability that after all of the condescending that he can pick you up from that moment and give you a period of exaltation in your life. And that can only happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ has given us a pattern that there may be those periods like that and periods of negativity, but they will not come without a moment of exaltation. They will not happen without a moment, amen, of something grand happening in your life as well. It's all about, and this really is what it comes to, it's all about what we're going to build a memorial over. You know? Well, you, you're going to build a memorial over the positives or the negatives in your life. Amen. You know, I, don't, I know, and maybe they do, and I'm not trying to be insensitive here today, 
But you know, some people used to used to after you got your marriage license, you put that on your you put that on the wall in your house, you know. Something to be proud of. The day you and your honey bun, whoever she is, whatever you call her, got married. You know, that's something you want to remember and have etched in your minds. I, I, and again, I am not trying to be insensitive here. I'm just throwing this out for pondering. I, I don't know of anybody, maybe someone has, but I don't know of anybody that, you know, got their divorce papers and put it in a frame and put it on their, you know. Now, there might be someone out there that has, okay? But what I'm saying, in the moment, you're choosing what you want to memorialize. You're choosing what you want to memorialize. And so David was getting it right. He was getting it right. He, he was taking that thing where he had his success, though it came by the hand of God. And he says, I'm going to take this with me because it's going to allow me to remember. And if you'll memorialize those things that are, that are, that are God moments and, and more positive moments, you're going to help etch something. You know, Brother Mason has said all times, repetition, and, and the, he's not the, uh, the father of it, but repetition is the mother of, 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 of learning. Of mastery, uh, repetition is the, is, is is the mother of mastery, and so so forth. The more that you repeat those good things to you, they're going to get etched more in your brain. If you consider certain people in real life, consider if you will the Tim Boone family. Anybody ever seen the Hiding Place by by Corey Tim Boone or read the book? No, yes, my wife raised her hand. That's great. Amen. Appreciate that. Amen. But the Boom family, uh, whenever the Nazis were over in Germany and all of the uh, Holocaust and such concerning the Jews were taking place, the Tim Boom family risked their own lives for the hiding of Jews over in that area in their home. In their home, uh, it was finally raided, and uh, Corey Tim Boom and her family were taken away to concentration camps. Uh, her father and, and her sister went in there, and uh, they died. Her father, her sister died while in the concentration camp, but Corey uh, Tim Boom survived. And in 1975, she 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 made her story was made a movie called The Hiding Place. And after many years, after travel and after all this occurred and happened, she's freed from it. Corey Tim Boom would travel from place to place, and she would share her experience. And what she was really doing was maybe giving an explanation or a post-imagining of what actually happened with her experiences. Oftentimes they said as she would speak to crowds and motivate crowds with about all these horrific things in her life, her head was down while she did it. People thought maybe this is just really her, hard for her to talk about. You know, and her head was down. But I guess while she was doing that, she was doing a little bit of like embroidery or needlework there. And whenever she'd get done, she would hold up the embroidery that she had finished, but she'd show them the backside. And I had a picture, and I don't think I brought but yeah, that one's not up there. But the backside of a piece of embroidery, for sure, if you're not very good at it, man, it can be a mess. I mean, there's strings over here, there, yonder, different colors, and you're like, this is a mess. Yet, whenever she would show them that, she would state this, this piece of poetry. I don't know if she wrote it or someone else. She said, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. She said, I do not choose the colors. She said, he works so steadily. All times he weaves in sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I see the underside. Not till the loom is silent. And the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. What she was saying was this. I seen only the underside of all this. Whenever we were going through everything we were going through, 
but he had a, a sound eye upon the top, and he was making a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful picture, if you will, in my life. And so what we see many times is the backside. We see the negativity, we see the good, we see the, the impossibility that anything could come of all this. And all along, God's looking from the top side and said, I got that stitch right where I want it. I placed that color, I placed that headache, I placed that challenge right where it needed to be because I'm making something of this. I know they don't realize it. No, they don't realize it right now, but I'm making something of this individual. An old song we used to sing around the church, a hymn was farther along. We'll learn all about it. Farther along, we will understand why. Honestly, today, I could tell you that hindsight or foresight going in sometimes, I don't understand everything. You know, I've sat with people that didn't understand why their child died before they did. Or why such and such was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And you know what? I sat down beside them, and I can't. Well, this is exactly the reason why. I can't. I just try to identify with them. So you know what? I don't know either. But hindsight, years down the road, it may be some of those aha moments that they're able to look over their shoulder and say, you know what? I believe. And I think this is people trying to, trying to memorialize, bring something negative, but memorialize it in a positive fashion. You know what? I believe this is the reason why that that happened or that occurred. And regardless, it made them who they were and so this morning if you're a David today don't forsake making memorials in your life to those things that are positive try to some way bat away bat away the tendency just to memorialize the negative things amen your faults personally your faults memorialize your faults your weaknesses memorialize that Memorialize your, memorialize your failure. And all that does is set us up for more fault, more failure. Amen. Absolutely. But if you can take something, and, and, and it's hard because we don't always view ourselves like this. Our self-talk is, is vitally important. Uh, if we could see ourselves like God sees us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If we could see ourselves like God sees us. I guarantee you. He wouldn't have left his throne in glory. Huh? He thought a lot about us. Humbled himself to the likeness of who we are. Thought a lot about you. Had bloodshed. Thought a whole lot about you. Thought a whole lot about you. I believe today that some reason why some people don't come to God, and I've heard it said, is because they don't feel like they're worthy. That's not just in the world. That's still in the church. There's people sitting here on pews this morning. There's people sitting here right here in this congregation, I know without a doubt this morning, that are sitting here and saying, you know what, I, I, I don't deserve being here. We'll join the club. None of us do for one. But what I want you to know is God has esteemed you. He's placed his name upon you, a name that is higher than any other name. He's placed his name upon you, and you are important in the sight of God. You're important to the people of this church. You're important to this assembly. Regardless of what your self-talk may be telling you or the monuments that you have built to the negativity that you've heard or assumed, you are important in the eyes of God this morning. We need you. We need you, ma'am. We need you, sir. We need you. Oh, but I cause, I've, I've, I've made some mistakes. Yeah, great. We all have. 
We all have, but we still need you. What it is, we need you with your, we're better off with you and the mistakes you have made than not ever having you at all. Amen. Stand with me this morning. We can just bow our heads in this place this morning. Brother Mason, you can come to the music, please. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.